Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 158. This interview is with Haile Owusu, Chief Data Scientist at Mashable. I met Haile after he gave a keynote at Gen 2015 and wanted to dive into how data is being used at Mashable to drive the editorial agenda. In this interview, Haile and I discuss the way that Mashable approaches data, how it is stored and organized, and how it is used by the writers. Data is a cutting-edge topic for business. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset, that's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue. Today, piped in from New York, is Haile Ousu, who I met at the Global Editors Network in Barcelona. Uh, where you did a brilliant speech uh, about data in the world of journalism. So, Heidi, tell us who you are, what you do, and, as I like to ask, what is your mindset? Sure, um, and thank you very much for that. That's very generous. Uh, I am Haile Usu, the uh, Chief Data Scientist at Mashable. And I, among other, um, among other duties, I, uh, I oversee the uh, data science team at Mashable, and in particular, I focus on... Uh, the design and the uh, the uh, research behind our predictive algorithm for social engagement in a a tool that we we built called Velocity. So when did you join Mashable, Harley? I joined Mashable a little under two years ago. So that's uh, uh, late 2013. And it's been a journey, I can imagine, because of t- where, tell us a little bit about your background as well, because how on earth did you get into Mashable? I'd love to hear that sure. coming from your background. Yeah. No, absolutely. I'm a, I'm a theoretical physicist by, uh, by training. I, I came, first of all, I came to data science by a bit of a circuitous route. I mean, I suppose data science has not been around that long, so I admit perhaps everyone who's a, a practitioner of data science came to it by a circuitous route. Mm-hmm. I was a postdoc, and I uh, I'd recently published a paper with uh, my, uh, my supervisor, and we had a discussion about, um, you know, what to pursue next, and... Uh, he strongly suggested that I, I start thinking about uh, different subjects, and I ended up thinking very hard about subjects outside of academia. And uh, in particular, I found myself drawn to to problems in data science, in particular problems that I found uh, on a site called Kaggle, which is a place where lots of data scientists sort of start to fine hone their uh, their their craft. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, sorry. No, yeah, I was just going to say. So uh, then, you wanted to get into the business side of it. How how did you get into the business side of it? So yeah, I uh, well, I what I wanted was a job, uh, and so I I got uh, a few gigs, and then ended up getting a gig as director of research for a company called Social Flow, um, and I was with them for a little bit, and. Then I was very lucky to find myself in a conversation with uh, Mashable CTO, and he essentially asked me if I wanted to predict the future of content. Um, There's a challenge. Yeah, it, it, yeah, and challenge accepted. I mean, he really made a very simple, elegant, and compelling 
argument for why Mashable was interesting and why what we could do at Mashable would be interesting. So before we, we circle back, circle through, I uh, wanted to just finalize, what would be your mindset? How would you describe your mindset, Heidi? Oh, sure. Um, my mindset is uh, I'm terribly, terribly curious, terribly curious. I, I, I mean, I came to physics by way of uh, my curiosity and to, to data science, again, by way of my curiosity. I, there are, I'm obsessed with trying to crack particularly mathematical nuts. Um, mathematical, I mean, my curiosity is fairly general, but um, uh, it tends to be focused towards mathematical problems because they're deep and interesting problems that are tractable. So, yeah, my mindset is heavily steeped in curiosity. So when you, when you when one talks about data... Mm -hmm. A lot of the times I hear people saying, well, it's actually not about the data, but the question you ask. Yeah, I think that's very right. I mean, look, uh, there are certainly some situations in which accumulating data without actually asking very specific questions is a good, a good thing to do because there's a, a rather, I mean, there's just a pervasive absence of, of, of data. Um, but chances are, if you have a running business in particular, you're accumulating some data. Um, and you know, by premise, the business is ticking along fine. Uh, and you accumulating accumulating data without asking a, a specific set of questions or having in mind a range of questions that you'll want to answer for the future is, is a kind of mindless and expensive exercise. Because for in general, uh, for the kind of data that is the 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 bread and butter of uh, machine learning techniques, you actually have to expend a fair amount of effort and uh, money in order to accumulate that data. It's actually not, it's not uh, easy to, to set up an architecture for, for retaining lots and lots of information. Mm. So you're, you're chief data scientist at Mashable. I am. And, and so the, the cheeky or the trendy word would be you're, you know, the chief big data officer or big data scientist. How, how at Mashable do you qualify big data? Yeah, so, I mean, I will say this uh, up front. At Mashable, we don't do big data, or at least not what I would consider to be big data. I mean, look, um, when you think of big data, you should probably think of really, really industrial scales, uh, uh, petabytes of data, uh, the sort of, the sort of assembly line you associate with uh, uh, Google and Facebook. We do have a lot of data at Mashable. Um, in particular, for Velocity, we, we're looking at about a million URLs a day and trying to first classify their content. Um, so, uh, you know, as, as many articles as we can possibly find being published around the world is what we ingest. And that's, that is a lot. However, if it, it is uh, several orders of magnitude below the scale of, uh, of a company like uh, Google or, or Facebook. Well, but within, within the context of... Uh, so another way to define big data is essentially data large enough that you need to do the... that you can't really pursue the calculation on your, your, uh, your local machine or your laptop. Um, and from that point of view, I suppose we do big data, but I, I mean, really, that is medium-sized data. <laughs> well, at the end of the day, big, I suppose, is relative, and it's relative, yes. relative to who you are and what you need. Mm -hmm. 
Indeed. Um, I guess I guess the point is that, I mean, and so, some of that probably sounds very pedantic. The, the most important thing there, the distinction that's drawn between uh, big data and I suppose what I do is that we, I mean, the exercise of the data is not so very important. It's the task that we, we set on the, the data. And for us, it is this predictive challenge, essentially to be able to figure out how much social engagement an article or a piece of content is going to receive very early on in its lifetime. All right, so you're looking at these millions of URLs every day. How mm-hmm. how do you classify them? Give give us some insights as to how you start to classify them. I mean, we're not asking for the sort of state secrets, but sure. what kind of buckets do you use? You know, useful, useless. <laughs> oh no, yes. Uh, so I mean, we so we classify by topic. Uh, we we imagine. Well, you, again, you have this this uh, large array of uh, URLs that, that come in and. Uh, you you want to know you want to know programmatically what the article is about essentially and so these are topic classifications and uh, topic classification is a sub branch of uh, of NLP short for natural language processing and most of those techniques for determining uh, classification well a broad category of of techniques involve a pre established corpus essentially, of what you know to be of that category. So if we want to identify something as being of fashion, we, broadly speaking, we have a, a collection of things that we know unambiguously to be about fashion. And we essentially teach our, our machines to, to recognize the repeated patterns in that corpus, and then assess essentially whether an incoming article has matching patterns. And these patterns are essentially repetitions in language, uh, word associations, um, you know, word frequencies, these sorts of things. And would you call it artificial intelligence that you're applying to this machine, or is it something that you're, it's basically human intelligence reapplied every day? Uh, so you know, I'm I'm a scientist, so I'm perhaps a little bit more cautious with language. I mean, I suppose it's a kind of uh, artificial uh, artificial intelligence, but I think much more much more concretely, it's it is definitely a, a form of natural language processing. When I think of artificial intelligence, and I think this is how people tend to use it these days, it tends to involve uh, neural networks and uh, computer vision. Um, and we do actually uh, have a ton of interest in these uh, in, in these uh, sub branches, but um, uh, yeah, this I, I'm I would describe this much more as natural language processing. So when you're looking at these 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 buckets of um, phrases, word you know word associations, and so on, what what are the ways you put hierarchy into them? Because I mean, are you saying, well, this these two words appeared in this kind of article and got this many likes? You know, what what are we trying to do in order to try and bring out that useful material for your writers? Ah, so okay, so uh, one way to think about this is as a, a kind of a, a, a progression of uh, analysis on the content. So, you know, first and foremost, we have to find the content. Okay. And we built a, an elaborate crawler for this purpose. And then we, uh, classify the content for topic. Um, 
so that we can know what it's about, essentially. And then the next layer is, of course, the predictive layer. And there we we use the information that we that were derived in the previous two stages to form a uh, a, a forecast or a prediction for how much social engagement that piece of content will get at the at the, at the end of its lifetime. And so uh, the essentially the the, the we we require the uh, the NLP uh, uh, buckets to inform our our predictions at the later stage. Does that answer, answer your question? Yeah, it does. I mean, in the end of the day, what I'm I'm thinking about is going to be the translation of that data into the hands of the people who are going to be using it for their next right. step, the output. And so you you're you know you're now you've got all this material every day, and I suppose real time is going to be important. You have to the, the timeliness of the articles is also super important. Yes, that's right. Well, uh, let me say a few words about uh, about how the end user uses it, uh, how in particular a journalist would use it. So, uh, well, actually, it may be useful to, to go to, to to the start and address why we actually built this thing in the first place. Go for it. So, uh, so I'm not a writer, but I can see the amount of labor that's involved in writing. I, I mean, I must say, I, I really do admire the, uh, the the craft of writing. But if you are a journalist and in a world uh, that is as sort of massively connected and as 24-hour and news cycle as, as, it, as it presently is, you have a lot of potential stories to sift through. And... Uh, prior to our having velocity, there was just an enormous amount of labor that was that was undertaken to figure out what uh, any writer in our various um, editorial categories would would consider for the day. And velo- uh, so, just, just for people to understand, velocity is your tool that you use, right? To- yes, that's right. Velocity is our tool that we use to offer uh, offer uh, our journalists a. It's a it's in part a curation tool. It's, uh, propi- is, the, is it proprietary to Mashable? It is entirely proprietary to Mashable. We built it in house. Uh, we we designed it. We built it. The algorithms are ours. Uh-huh. Um, and the idea is essentially to one limit the amount of work that uh, that journalists have to undertake in order to identify uh, previously written content that is interesting. Mm-hmm. Wherein the the notion of interestingness is actually the amount of social engagement. Mm-hmm. And the reason that we are interested in social engagement is that we just, we simply noticed that at an, in an early version of this tool, when writers would uh, write an article in some sense in response to a previous article that had accrued a lot of social engagement, that subsequent work that we, that, that mashable article tended to do rather well. Um, and so the idea was to build a tool that was as predictive as possible for that amount of social engagement so that when we choose to react to something in the, uh, uh, some event or some, some article written by another publication that we are able to assess early that that is something that's going to receive uh, significant amounts of social engagement and hopefully accrue some of that social engagement to us. And so in the present uh, incarnation of Velocity, of our top 10 stories over the past 
the past year, the majority of uh, our top ten stories were actually sourced in Velocity, and their their performance uh, was orders of magnitude above certainly the the, the mean behavior. I mean, really, uh, there's. Uh, a significant lift we seem to be able to achieve by um, uh, forecasting early how much social engagement uh, content receives. All right. So you have so velocity will help you curate, allow the writers uh, to accelerate their research so that they know that these are the articles that are being pre-read, pre-written. Sorry, on this particular topic, we think this topic's about to get a certain amount of pickup. Hit it. So is, would that be a fair yeah. description? Yeah, no, that, that's 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 very true. I mean, it's it's very very true, uh, and I think that's that's very much how um, our writers uh, writers use it. All right, so now I but all right, so you've written, this other stuff's written. What kind of do you have any other forms of guidance in the predictiveness? So hey, listen, don't forget to include these keywords. Don't forget, try to think of another angle than the one that's already been used. Uh, what what other types of material do you can you garner from well what you do and what Velocity does in order to better script and uh, equip the writers for their article? This is a really interesting question, and uh, it's a question that I receive often, and uh, I hesitate to, to be too grand and prescriptive. And I'll tell you what. So this is highly dependent on details. It depends on the type of content. It depends on the on on your not just the audience of the the the, the publication for which you write, but also your your subset of that audience. Um, I mean, it's almost always true that uh, a good article is better than a bad article in this respect. I, I know that that sounds difficult. <laughs> But it's it's sort of not obvious because I mean one thing about the uh, the media environment is that uh, journalistic content is in some sense uh, weaponized, right? We are actually at a stage where uh, publishers have at their disposal means for really promoting far and wide uh, singular pieces of content if they so they so choose. But even there, it seems to be that uh, that's Better writing and better better content, uh, in some fairly objective sense, does does better social engagement wise than than and than smaller ones. And certainly, uh, social networks like Facebook have spent a lot of effort trying to make that true of their platform. Right. So mm -hmm. there, there's a kind of uh, a desire to uh, limit the amount of uh, pure, uh, maybe unsatisfying clickbait in favor of more substantive. Uh, substantive content but you know uh there's a lot there's a lot more beyond just uh basic journalistic uh content i mean i tend to think of this as uh that there's a certain amount of packaging that you have to put around a really good piece of content mm -hmm. um so one wants headlines to be sort of sharp and crisp um ever so slightly emotionally grabbing but not emotionally manipulative or it can be emotionally manipulative, but people tend to respond negatively to uh, uh, the curiosity gap, if you will, which is to say that they may click on it, but they're not going to share it if they walk away feeling duped. Mm -hmm. 
So, so and when you when you're providing this material, then you have you have the content or the subject matter itself. Then you have uh, material around the title, which is going to be so important. Then there presumably is also length, and then there uh, is element like keywords that you have to load in or not. You know, because if it's too obvious, then sort of slap me silly SEO, or you know. <laughs> Trying to just you know, hey, don't forget to add in you know long tail, uh, cool headed thoughts for the future. Right. Um, I mean, I, I have to say that uh, again, these are very domain specific. So I, 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 I essentially could tell you what works at Mashable, um, but uh, I wouldn't be too bullish on the idea that that automatically translates to other domains. So uh, I will also say that this is actually a question that is not entirely within the province of velocity as a tool. Mm -hmm. So uh, the the number of variable, variables and the extent to which the, 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 the lack of independence between these variables is such that this is actually often an experimental question. Figuring out the best packaging on a piece of content is for the most part, an experimental question. And so I don't have great insight into uh, how to perform these experiments, essentially, yeah, because uh, even dig digitally on, in, in other, uh, for other publishers. I suppose, anyway, even for Mashable, uh, you know, some a topic that you do 350 words on versus 750, well, maybe one day it'll work well, and then two weeks later it should have been 750 to the 350 because more people are interested in it. I mean, I, I assume there are still many variables that make up for success. Many, many variables, and they're dynamic. I mean, it's actually, a, it's a very deep question. That It's a very, a very popular question, but it's a very deep question. Mm. So, what are, what are, what are we... And, 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 and just, uh, just to, as an addendum, uh, there's also the image component, which uh, uh -huh. really, really uh, 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 confounds things, because images are... are understanding what qualities of images actually... Um, contributes to social media success. Uh, it's a, a point of ongoing research. <laughs> right, really right. Because I mean, I mean, images are by definition more emotional, mm -hmm. and and then you have your little, uh, you have the the um, the little icon. You have the bigger image, the first image, the positioning of them. Do you want? Yes. And then how? I suppose you also need to look at technical aspects, like what what's the optimal. Um, density of the image that should be, I mean, it's quite a lot of things in the image. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, really understanding uh, what we call the uh, the feature space of uh, images, or at least the most the most significant uh, subset of feature space is really uh, non-trivial. So you, you, the you, with Velocity, work on that as well? I mean, so that will include referencing images that are best used or not? I mean, wh where is your, did your uh, remake go that far? Uh, so uh, this is a, uh, I mean, we, we haven't rolled out uh, anything fully featured uh, here, but we, we do spend a lot of time uh, research-wise on, on, on this, this question. Mm. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's, a, it's a tough question we're trying to suss. Mm. And it was, at this point, if you had one insight on images, for those people who are using images and their content, what would be the one thing you've pulled away so far? Use a cat uh, and a dog. I, I mean, the easiest and, and maybe the, the least satisfying is that one should include one. I mean, there's, I think, at this stage, no excuse for it, for a publisher not to uh, bundle with each 
article and image. It's a it's a complete lost opportunity. Mm. Um, good semantic uh, matching between the image and uh, the content of the article. I, I, it is. It's. Uh, I mean, it's relatively rare in the, the data set that we have to see massive disjuncture between the article body and the image. But when that happens, it's absolutely jarring and, and it tends to... Uh, I, I've seen no examples where uh, uh, for the high performers where there's a, a wild mismatch between the semantic content and the image content. Makes me think of another question, which I, I sort of talk a lot about when I think about e-commerce, but mm-hmm. it's also relevant in a Google world, which is the notion of tagging how important yes. is tagging in the world of a, a data physicist, a data scientist? Yeah, um, oh, I like that. I like data physicists. They <laughs> ring to it. Because um, uh, once a physicist, always. Knows. I guess so. Um, tagging, I mean, I, I, it's, it's really hard to overstate uh, how useful it is when somebody tags. Uh, their content. Now, the incentives that people have to tag uh, content um, well and um, exhaustively, uh, you know, I, I, it's, I think I, I can see that it's a lot of effort on the editorial side. But in terms of, of, of how we, we, we get our information, it is a treasure trove of, uh, of, uh, of, of detail, right? Um, we, you, you have to bear in mind that we, the Velocity works with publicly available data, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, for the most part, we you know we have uh, we have some some uh, explicit data relationships, but uh, uh, for the most part, the bulk of our data comes uh, is is available publicly, and uh, the extent to which. Uh, the articles come pre-tagged with information. It's it's like you know, gold encrusted breadcrumbs. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. it's, 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 uh, it's incredibly useful for us. Um, okay, for me, I, so I write my blog on WordPress, and I have I have in my mind three levels of tags. I have a category, so the category of the post, and mm-hmm. there can be many of those. Then I have the tag which I've given, which is. Uh, identified and visible underneath the title. And then I also have things like an alt or I would call it invisible tags, publicly available, but invisible to the eye as you read the post. Right. Do you give weight to all of those? I mean, do you give different weights to each of those? Uh, so first and foremost, I, I, I certainly appreciate that you have a well-developed schema. Some, many, many uh, publishing entities do not. So we have to be really, really careful about uh, establishing global rules for this. In mm. fact, um, it's much better to, to establish rules on a, on a domain uh, level, actually, for this. Um, the some, yeah, I mean, I'll be blunt, some tagging schema are so uh, ill-formed as to be essentially useless. Mm. But uh, we... I'll say this. I mean, the, the actual text body for our purposes um, carries much more weight than the tags for precisely this reason because we we ha- we have there's a normalization question that is uh, that is hard to address. I mean, 
for a schema that is as sound, as that is rigorous as yours sounds. I would say, broadly speaking, the, the the whole schema would be weighted more heavily because, in some sense, it's more trustworthy. Nice. Other 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 tagging is a, a sort of a, an obvious uh, SEO ploy mm-hmm. and uh, maybe less useful for our purposes. So, um, Heidi, when you're dealing with your writers, what kind of challenges are there in transcribing data for them? In other words, so I mean, if you take journalism, because you know we were at the D, the um, the Gen conference mm-hmm. in Barcelona and, and sort of yeah. traditional journalists might look at data journalism with a with another type of eye. They certainly look at comments with another type of eye. And I'm just wondering to what extent there's a comfort factor between the Mashable authors and you. Uh, is it sort of like a, a precondition of working at Mashable now or do you still have, you know, let's say more classically trained writers that are are looking at you as a sort of alien body and i don't mean and i of course you can't sort of call out any names and all that but how, how does it work <laughs> sure. at, at mashable yeah i mean so uh you know mashable is relatively young and so i think we have the benefit of people uh coming up if you will with the idea that uh that's you know a team like uh the data science team is a natural augment to their 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 writing process so i don't i don't think that there's any there's certainly no antagonism and i don't think that there's any any uh mistrust but there is a gulf that um that i certainly feel like we need to that that i i take some effort to bridge Mm -hmm. um after after we had a stable uh stable version of velocity um we undertook a lot of uh, efforts to train people on the new tool and also to solicit advice and understand the the micro use cases that each journalist has, uh, has for the uh, for the tool I mean as you, as well you, you can imagine different types of news uh, so for breaking news, as opposed to uh, what we at Mashable call the water cooler team, uh, they have different uh, different needs, and they they have in fact different timescales on which they're they're interested in understanding what is going to be, uh, you know, a trending or mm. uh, the most socially engaging topic, and so we actually really really attempt to understand all of the use cases, and that helps us craft a better tool. It's one of the uh, one of the You know, in, in, in this game, you you analyze uh, a range of data and you have a clear and concise quantitative goal, but you also are trying to deliver up something useful to an end user. And usually their goals are rarely quantitative and rarely well-defined, but nevertheless, I mean, very urgent and very pressing and uh, very important with a clear sort of business bottom line. And actually, navigating between those two worlds absolutely requires that I take on board how uh, a journalist uses the, uh, the, uh, the tool so that I can distill, I can take what they're looking for and distill it down into a quantitative uh, question. Uh-huh. Uh, the way that ends up manifesting itself in velocity is we actually have a... Uh, a, 
a metric that we 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 came up with called impact, um, and that is a measure essentially of how impactful uh, participating and sharing of the the content will be for the final uh, for the, the 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 final cascade for that uh, for that piece of content. Yeah, because at the end of the day, you are at the cross section between publisher side, if you will, and uh, and editor side, where. Uh, you know, editors are just you know g- generally known for looking for getting great content, and you are, are closer to the end of well the output and the amount of sociability and sharing and the data figures which are going to help the publisher to sell more advertising. Yeah, that's that's right. Though I, I mean, I, I'm I wouldn't uh, you know I don't at least not with respect to this tool. The tool is not a, intrinsically set up to optimize any. Uh, kind of base publishing goal. Really, we try to situate situate ourselves closer to the uh, the the editorial side, so that we uh, it's it's primarily important for our, for for us that our journalists are seeing good content in the uh, in the the uh, the dashboard. That good content is bubbling up, and that there's good confirmation between what we say is going to be hot. You know. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, uh, in a few days, and what actually ends up being. All right. So, uh, in this last question, uh, Heidi, what this? Is, this is my last question for you before we close off. I mean, I, before sure. you, you you know you sign off, but when when um, your what are the KPIs for you in your job as chief data scientist? Is it the number of times you predict accurately a subject's going to hit? Or how, how does that how does that fly? What are the general, what's the general precept of your KPIs that you're given for you and your job? Sure. Um, with respect to velocity, I mean, really, the uh, the KPI is accuracy, right? I mean, the tool uh, distinguishes itself from a number of different analytics tools uh, that are used in media in that it it's it makes a long term prediction about. Uh, about uh, content, about how much social engagement content is going to receive, and so we we are very focused on trying to make sure that the algorithm that uh, that I came up with uh, is as accurate as possible in that respect. And so, uh, you know, there are a number of softer KPIs, but really the, the the most important one for me is accuracy. And from that measure, we do actually reasonably well. Mm. Um, uh, we've actually just recently underwent a battery of, uh, of accurate te- accuracy tests. And I, I confess I was actually very pleasantly surprised. Well, I, I, and I assume there's certain categories or content that you want to be more accurate than others. There's a bit more experimentation on some categories versus others. Is, is that fair? No, well, no, actually. I mean, I, I think so that we don't limit uh, use cases, I actually don't... I don't place any personal importance on one subset of content over another because, again, we have uh, journalists who cover all sorts, and so we we try to cover their bases as much as possible. Excellent. Well, Haile, thanks for letting us dive into the world of data at Mashable. How would be the best way for someone to connect with you, follow you, uh, or listen to what you're up to? Absolutely. Um, so my uh, Twitter is actually uh, pretty pretty good. Um, I my Twitter handle is Haile Kofi H A I L E K 
K-O-F-I. Um, uh, yeah, and you can also pop me a line at, uh, at uh, highly at matchable.com. Right, well, highly, thanks for coming on and uh, look forward to staying in touch following uh, you guys. I, I think like many of the people listening are avid readers of Mashable, so it's nice to get a little bit of an inside view on what's cooking. Thanks again, Howie. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com, that's mindset with a Y, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it in iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray.
Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzwar, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next-door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian jiu-jitsu in life, we've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts, and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.